trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with the hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a politics and news podcast with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown, Luis Parada, and Ian Forty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a politics and news podcast. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Joining me on the phone, race to say your name first. Lewis. Damn it. He wins every time. Every time. I'm on my toes. Ian, man. What's wrong? But now the time is all mine. <laughs> still still no. You come out of this two weeks in a row pretending like it's a victory. And no, you just got beat. You got beat to the punch. It's that Canadian lackadaisicalness, I think, is the word. Probably something like that. I'm bogged down with poutine. I've never gotten into poutine. That surprises me because you seem like you would be into poutine. I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean, like... <laughs> I think it's only I mean, insulting when you say, you look like a poutine man. Don't <laughs> <laughs> worry, man. As someone who adores poutine, I, I say that. I think it would be more insulting if they said, you look like the poutine man. <laughs> <laughs> but It's like the Kool-Aid man, only he, he sweats a lot and falls <laughs> down. The mythical poutine man of the uh, rural Canadian woods. <laughs> I'll give it another shot at some point. But we have uh, we have some craziness to talk about this week. A lot of it. There were uh, a lot of alarming moments from the Trump presidency this week. What? I know it's it's hard to imagine, but it it is kind of hard to imagine because we should have reached the point where nothing is surprising anymore. But God damn it. That guy just keeps going for it. He's got a lot of endurance. Uh, I will give him that. Like in the in the campaign against Hillary, he kept saying that he has more endurance. And I think that was one of the tr- few factual statements he he's ever said in his political career, maybe his life, where he I think he really does. He could go on just spouting bullshit and inanity for for hours on end. It fuels him. It doesn't deplete him of energy. He just keeps on going. It's in, it's incredible. It's because he's high on Adderall all the time, I think. Yeah, that, that does it. So let's get to our first segment, which this week is called Trump is Still Our President. Because even with all the other terrible things happening in the world, namely coronavirus and the potential cancellation of the NBA season, which was shaping up to be a really interesting one, Even with all that happening, it's important to remember Trump is still our president and he had he had a really Trump-esque moment this week in the White House Rose Garden, which he shouldn't even be allowed to use like Trump shouldn't be. I don't know. The Rose Garden feels special. Trump shouldn't be in it. But he was this week doing a coronavirus press briefing, I guess. The first one, I think, since he told the country to inject bleach and UV rays directly (laughs) into their veins. Which was a smash hit, a smash hit conference. It did go over really well, and it seemed to have some very positive ripple effects in that Trump stopped talking to us for a couple weeks, (laughs) which that was a positive development. But he came back this week with an hour plus press briefing from the Rose Garden. 
I watched this fucking thing twice, America. So if you want to hit that Patreon or something, please do make my well, work. I mean, to be fair, this is how you lull yourself to sleep by the dulcet tones of Trump muttering around about some conspiracy thing he saw on Fox and Friends. Yeah, it's these really are the best moments to hear Trump kind of unfiltered. But this not so much because the media is around, but like at his I mean, the media is at his rallies, too. But then he gets all swept up in the emotion of being surrounded by people who believe his bullshit. But then he tends to go more off the cuff. This was actually in terms of Trump moments. For a good chunk of it, it wasn't the worst. I think they caught him early in the morning, like he was well-rested maybe. I mean, he still said a lot of crazy, crazy shit, but relatively speaking, not as crazy as usual, I guess. He did kind of declare victory over coronavirus right at the beginning. Does that seem true to anyone? Does this feel like we I beat it? I just, just gut instinct um, leaning toward no. Um, and it's not just because I'm still terrified of leaving my house and haven't really seen the sun in many, many months. Um, I just there's a general sense of doom lingering around everywhere that tells me I, I, we haven't beaten this thing, guys. You may be on to something there. Yeah, this this really is kind of his mission accomplished moment. It feels like he even had a banner, didn't he? Yeah, he did. It said Amer- something about America leading the world in coronavirus testing. Which is, like, wildly incorrect, too. We're, like, 30th or something. Yeah, and even if we were, it's because that fuckface let this spin so far out of control before actually doing anything about it. And so we just have a lot of people that need tested when we could have taken a, a little more decisive action a little earlier to fight this. But here we are, nonetheless... We have beaten Corona, at least from a testing standpoint, we have beaten coronavirus, which is ironic because it feels like most of the country still can't get tested for coronavirus. I can't wait till we have our ticker take parades where we just shred apart all the gloves and masks we've been using all this time and (laughs) just sprinkle them throughout the city on on long main streets. Oh, and then there's another outbreak. (laughs) From that parade. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Oh, we're, no. we're essentially handing handing out uh, protective gear. <laughs> True. Just pick it up. Put it back together yourself, poor people. Yeah. The part where he keeps that's a point he keeps hitting on throughout this whole press conference is America is the best at testing for coronavirus. Like we are so much better than every other country. You don't even fucking know. That's a quote. <laughs> I wish. And it's a really, it's a, it becomes a really important point at the end of this. But he also, during this press conference, said what I feel like is going to be his fucking de facto campaign slogan, which is transition to greatness, which one I thought we were supposed to do when he got elected in 2016. But it seems like he's implying like, hey, the economy is really going to rebound next year under Trump. And it's like, I would hope the economy would rebound under anyone next year. We are at damn near Great Depression levels of unemployment. It can't get worse, even though it can totally get worse. (laughs) Yeah, transition to greatness is really just such an empty void of words. Like it's it's three words, yet I can't find a single bit of meaning in any of it. I don't know what they're going for. Uh, it just feels so lifeless. Transition to greatness. Again, it, it does imply that he will be replaced with someone better. And he's going to offer a smooth transition from poor to greatness. 
Right. And I have my I have my doubts that if he's replaced by someone, it's going to be a smooth transition. <laughs> yeah. A lot of kicking and screaming. It is going to be a very chaotic transition. But he did at one point introduce a guy named Admiral Gorier. But because Trump is a mush mouth idiot, I heard Admiral Gore and I was very excited for a second. That would have been so awesome. Oh, man. If just a, one of the horsemen. Yeah. Anyone from Gore. If anyone from Gore joins the Trump administration, I still wouldn't vote for him because he's a tyrant. But that would be really cool. So then he cuts to questions from the press. And this is where things really take a turn. But he does keep getting this question about why White House staff gets tested every day, but Americans can't get tested every day. And this is one of those moments where I feel like almost any other president would not get this question because he's the president. I mean, like it or not, I definitely don't like it. But you would expect that the president, if anyone is going to be able to get tested every day, it would be the president. But because it's Trump and everyone fucking hates him, it feels extra gross in some way. Also, when you create that disparity of, you know, people, regular people not knowing if they can even be tested and they likely can't if they went and tried. Uh, and then you have the it's basically like, you know, the, the the rich are eating well and living fat off the land and the poor can't do shit. They, they're they starving. They're eating just like a single bean for dinner, like it's a Mickey Mouse cartoon from the 30s or something. It's it, when when they have the access to it, it all of a sudden seems immediately unfair. Yeah, especially and I think especially because it's Trump and also his answer is dumb and super defensive. He basically says, if we weren't getting tested, you'd ask why we aren't being tested every day. And like, maybe, but you're the president. You're not supposed to answer that way. That's that's dumb. And it makes you look like a child. Like the real answer is when are Americans going to get access to the same stuff the president's cabinet has? Fucking never. When in history has that ever been the case? But I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm all right with, I don't know, I, I, I like I'm all right with Trump being tested every day just because we don't want to have to replace our president right now. But also it would be kind of cool to have to replace the president right now. So maybe he shouldn't get tested. Oh, just think of the drama, Adam. Oh, my God. The, the fun we would all be having right now in this living, this living, this history. Yeah. Wouldn't it be so much more fun having Nancy Pelosi for our president? <laughs> <laughs> seeing the right immediately transition to oh no we can't uh, do anything this woman says what she's saying is crazy it As would if. be it would be one way to get the right wingers in this country to agree we should all shut the country down again oh yeah immediately if nancy pelosi was up there saying go out and get your hair did and get your tattoo filled in it would immediately be a democrat plot to kill republicans <laughs> Yeah, you would see the uh, the conspiracy theories shift immediately. And I think that's the one thing that you haven't we haven't seen the protests. There's been a lot of that shit going around. And I don't think they're nearly as bad as they could be if this were all under a Democratic president. Oh, yeah, for sure. The the protests would be 100 percent worse under a Democrat. And also, I feel like the fact that they're not as bad as they could be kind of speaks to them not being the grassroots effort that they claim to be, which is a thing we talked about on the last episode. 
And like, if that was really a grassroots thing, there are more people who are anxious about this than a hundred fucking proud boys with guns in Michigan. People would be out in force. Yeah. There's also in this uh, press conference around 43 minutes in, he's asked a question about claims that Chinese hackers were trying to steal data and research about possible vaccines. And that sounded like some Breitbart shit to me. So I did some Googling and no, it's, it's a legitimate concern. The New York Times covered it on May 10th and apparently not just China, but all sorts of countries have all of a sudden directed their cyber espionage activities toward trying to spy on countries that might come up with a virus, which personally, that's what I would want my cyber espionage representatives. I don't know the word for it working on right now like we can topple venezuela later which we'll get to later but uh why not steal a cure if there's one on the world stage right now that'd be cool well that's what they're uh, they're paid for i think like all these these hackers across the world i think that's their job it just shifts depending on what the topic of the day is but they're always just trying to dig for new info but what the the interesting thing about this is to me is that uh trump often has this thing where he'll say something that sounds completely outlandish like they're trying to hack us for our cures uh sounds ridiculous but i feel like he sometimes has this thing where he'll repeat something he heard offhand in a meeting and like some kind of morning briefing or whatever that he probably shouldn't say out loud but he and he doesn't have all the information on it so it just sounds ludicrous and we're getting this bit of information that is absolutely real he it's just filtered through the context of a person who didn't actually pay attention to any of it that is literally the best thing about trump i think is that he does go off the cuff so often and say things that you know he's not supposed to say and sometimes it's for the best like when he was like you're not gonna believe the ice raids happening this weekend (laughs) and ice was like dude you're not supposed to tell people it's gonna make it really hard and then they delayed him and then like two (laughs) weeks later he was like you're not gonna believe the ice raids that are happening this weekend and the same fucking thing happened and it's like Thank you. Thank yeah, you. He's, he's probably so proud of the fact that the, that the Chinese are trying to steal our precious vaccines from our computers. Oh, he's so he's so proud of it. Yeah, we have the best vaccines. Of course, they would try to steal it from us. Yeah. And he'll probably like tweet the fucking formula to that vaccine at some <laughs> point next week. But so like really for like a solid 50 minutes, he mostly holds it together. Even the China question He gave a decent answer, which was what else is new, which, yeah, that's kind of a a good response when people ask about claims that China is trying to steal intellectual property. We know China does that. So fine. Uh, I would take that short, succinct answer over Trump going on a five minute tangent about it and revealing all of our national security secrets in the Rose Garden any fucking day. But the way this interview or this press conference ends is what really made a lot of headlines. There's another moment that we'll talk about next that I think is even crazier. But let's listen to how this press conference ended. Uh, Yeah, go ahead, please. Said many times that the U.S. is doing far better than any other country when it comes to testing. Yes. Why does that matter? Why is this a global competition to you if everyday Americans are still losing their lives and we're still seeing more cases every day? Well, they're losing their lives everywhere in the world. And maybe that's a question you should ask China. 
Don't ask me. Ask China that question, okay? When you ask them that question, you may get a very unusual answer. Yes, behind you, please. What, sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm telling you, I'm not saying it specifically to anybody. I'm saying it to anybody that would ask a nasty question That's like that. That's not a nasty please question. Please go ahead. Why does it matter? Okay, uh, anybody else? Why was he asking her that question? Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> it uh, seems like he asked her that because she was Asian. And here's the thing. She is Chinese-American. But that's like, he would have said that if she was Korean, Japanese, fucking Mexican, probably. Like, it was just a good racist guess on his part more than anything. I guess we're, we're lucky that he didn't try to make any super racist, like, Chinese voice sounds. I am shocked. Yeah. I, th I feel like he does it behind the scenes probably often whenever China comes up and everybody laughs except for the serious people in the room who probably facepalm very hard that you know, so hard that it comes out the back of their heads. And these, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know how he doesn't stop himself from being even more overtly racist in front of crowds. Because I know he does it in private. I know he does. And it's not even a good answer. Like, she's asking, why does it matter if we're winning when it comes to testing for coronavirus? And he says, ask China that question? Why? I mean, if, like, I guess now I kind of want to hear their take on it, but just fucking give a good answer. I would argue an even weirder moment that happened a little bit before that, but it was it was also right around the 50-minute mark when things started spinning out of control, and it takes us to our next segment, which is called fashion, because it's about fascism. Like It's like fashion, but I spell it F-A-S-C-I-N, and no one sees that. Like You can't see it, but... You know I did it, and it's really fucking clever, right? We feel it. We can't see it, but we feel it. Thank you. Right, the cockles. I love that cockles are a real thing. It sounds like they should be fake, but we have cockles. It's great. Yeah, it's like a flange, like a flangey. Uh, this is like a made up part <laughs> feel like or maybe flanges are real it might fall into the same category as cockles <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is another moment that came up during this Rose Garden press conference which uh, basically Trump over the weekend said that Obama had committed the biggest crime in American political history, which is a shocking claim, like such a huge claim. And especially coming from the current president of the United States, talking about the former president of the United States, because I looked it up and as it turns out, when you commit crimes you sometimes go to jail for those crimes. Could you explain that? Uh, I didn't dig deep enough into how all that works. I just saw that suggested somewhere. It was, it was interesting. But I mean, that kind of implies that Trump would be thinking about arresting Obama. And that sounds so crazy and like just such an out of left field thing that would never happen. But they've been, Republicans in general have been talking about this for almost immediately since the Mueller investigation ended and actually before it ended, there have been Republicans pushing the idea that the people involved in investigating Trump's ties to the Russia campaign are the actual criminals and that they should be the ones to go to prison. 
and like they talked about it for a bunch of months and then in October of last year William Barr actually launched a criminal investigation into the Russia investigation and nobody gave a shit because it's Trump and we don't take Trump seriously until it's far too late and I feel like we're hitting far too late territory when it comes to all that lock her up shit like those chants aren't for nothing yeah and they they're they still doing it like, and they, they the locker up chant just morphs into whoever the villain of the day is so when there were like protests in michigan the it, the locker up chant was in reference to michigan's governor who's you know uh, obviously a uh, a fascist nazi sympathizer for suggesting that people not give each other a disease uh, and by just staying indoors. Yeah. And it like a responsible president would discourage his supporters from behaving that way. And Trump not only encourages it, but he suggests all the time that this is something that will actually happen. And now he's on Twitter saying Obama committed the biggest crime in American political history. We have had not a lot, but a few presidents assassinated. That seems like a pretty big political crime. But what he's suggesting Obama did was treason. And you get fucking executed for treason. <laughs> I like how he, he, he brands everything, obviously. It's pretty much one of the few things he knows how to do really well. And he branded it Obamagate, which is a little, honestly, a little derivative. Uh, it but, really is. Yeah, it's just, it's just, come on. He just can't take gate and put it at the end of something and whatever. I'll give him that. But he, he talks about it whether it's in, in the interviews or whatever or, or on Twitter, it, in a way that makes it feel like the way I feel when I see a tweet that's escaped a subcultural bubble and it's made its way in front of me and I have no idea what these people are talking about. Like, he talks about this grand drama of Obamagate. It's the biggest crime ever. And I had to look up what it what he was talking about because I didn't know what it was in reference to. And it's because in the, in the Trump conspiracy world, it, it this is an ongoing narrative that has leaked out to me. It's like catching wind of like a rivalry between two YouTubers I've never heard of. Like, I don't give a shit about either of you. Yet this is dominating everything, the entire conversation in this tiny little pocket of the universe. Yeah. And he he's not going to let this go. And I am legitimately interested when he says you'll have more information in the next few weeks. I am legitimately interested to know what that means. And everyone's kind of laughing it off right now. But there is very recent precedent for this happening in our hemisphere. It's basically how Jair Bolsonaro took over in Brazil. The president at the time was a woman named Dilma Rousseff, and she passed this law that would make investigating corruption significantly easier to the point that her opposition was like, fuck, we're going to get investigated and go to prison probably. So what they did in response to that was pretty brilliant. They were like, or we could impeach her and arrest her predecessor under this new law. And that's exactly what they did. They, there's this scandal called the car wash scandal that pretty much every politician in that country was involved in for like 70 fucking years. And they singled these two out and launched this massive social media propaganda campaign to get her impeached. And they fucking arrested her predecessor. 
So you can laugh it off all you want, America, but see what fucking happens if Joe Biden gets elected. I guarantee you there will be some sort of attempt at that exact same kind of thing. Because yeah, it's a circus. It'll be an absolute circus. It's going to be awful. Basically, everything they were planning for Hillary, all the Benghazi hearings that they were going to continue on until infinity, all of that stuff is going to happen with Joe Biden. It's just going to keep because all they know how to do is obstruct and make other people look bad. That's kind of it. That's their way of governing. And they don't know how to actually govern and how to give people things that would make them feel better and live happy, healthier lives. It's going to be awful. Oh, God, it's going to be dreadful. Yeah, I I can not only see something like that happening, but like very quietly, Court TV returned last year, and I could just see this being a huge televised spectacle where Trump literally tries the former administration on television, and it will be some traumatic shit for this country. But like, I I do not put it past him whatsoever. Yeah, it feels like his dream is to create like a like all the the news breaks you see in RoboCop movies is to make all of that kind of stuff real. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it feels like that's what we're we're moving toward. And that's kind of what Brazil has now. Like it worked in Brazil and Bolsonaro took over and he's he's like Trump, but worse. Like he has I don't know. He's like handsome Trump. It's there's something <laughs> not right about it. And he's like burning down rainforests and fucking coughing on people who voted for him because he doesn't believe coronavirus is real and brazil fucking loves it it's nuts so like like there are they're they're an ally of ours it happened there it could probably happen here the only thing that makes me feel good about it that makes me think that we're not gonna get that far to brazil's case is uh that i just i read an article today politico that uh republicans were asked about his comments yesterday and all the whole Obamagate thing. And for now, at least for this one political article, they were all trying to distance themselves as far away from it as possible. They all were just saying, yeah, that's that's probably not going to happen. I don't think you're ever going to see Obama at a Senate hearing being asked questions about whatever Trump is talking about. Now, that sounds nice and it makes me feel good for the day. But I know Republicans history of being able to switch that on a dime when they see an opportunity to make somebody look bad that is, is in, has no grounds for it whatsoever. So I feel great now about it. But tomorrow I wake up remembering that they had years worth of obstruction bullshit planned for Hillary Clinton's administration. And it, I don't see that tactic changing for the next several decades. Yeah. The only thing that doesn't make me feel, I saw that article also. The only thing that doesn't make me feel great about it is there's still that thing where Trump sometimes says stuff too early. And that could just be them playing coy a little bit and being like, yeah, well, I don't don't know anything about it. And then next thing you know, Obama's in Guantanamo Bay and Lindsey Graham's like, we did it. (laughs) I guess we'll see. There is If uh, people listening to this are interested in more details about that Brazil story, there's a really great documentary called The Edge of Democracy, and it's uh, hopefully still streaming on Netflix, but if not, it's the internet. You'll fucking find it. Get off my back. But it's really good, and it uh, lays out in great detail how everything that happened in Brazil came about, 
Some of that stuff has already happened here. We haven't had the arrest, but we have had the insinuation that the opposition should be arrested. And that's a big insinuation coming from the United States president, I'd say. Anyway, let's get to our next segment that we call Sacrifice to the Elites of the Week. Ian, talk about this fantastic offer from Frontier Airlines that I plan to fully embrace after this is all over. Heck yeah. Frontier Airlines is your discount airline of choice in America these days. Yeah. If you want to get from South Dakota to Los Angeles on a dime, specifically on one Tuesday morning a month, Frontier Airlines is the choice for you. Exactly. And they're all about safety, too. They they gas their planes, I guess, routinely with some kind of chemical that kills coronavirus on contact. According to what I read, don't ask what it is. It just does that. Do they spray passengers with it? I think just upholstery. So if you go on one of their planes and you lick your seat back, have at it, man. You're okay. Things are good. Joke's Uh, on you, coronavirus challenge influencers. (laughs) Oh, those guys are losers. Anyway, um, I guess you got to wear, you got to wear a mask to get on one of their planes. And starting June 1st, they're going to take your temperature. I I hesitate to guess how they take your temperature, but they're going to do it to make sure that you don't have a fever. If you've got like a 101 degree fever or something that make you wait 10 minutes, minutes to see if maybe you were just working out just excited to board that frontier airlines flight and if you still have a fever you don't get on so it's gonna be super safe uh guys i'm just super excited for your stale tuna sandwich that you're gonna give me See, the, the big deal, though, is that uh, to, according to them, to ensure passenger safety, you could buy an empty seat for 39 bucks so you didn't have to sit next to anyone. And that is both a great deal and a horrible thing to do at the same time. It really is. Because under any other circumstances, I'd be like, fuck yes, I'm never flying on any airline except Frontier. But during a pandemic, it's like we're supposed to be keeping a safe distance and you want to charge people for that privilege? Seems questionable. I also, I feel especially bad in this case for the middle seat guy because he's he's like a punishment now, whoever that person is. If you didn't pay for the spare seat, then someone's going to sit there and that's what you get for being a cheap bastard. That guy who's next to you now may be riddled with disease. Yeah, it really, like, this is one of those things that sat, it's, again, one of the, we talk about this, I think, on every episode, but it's one of those things where the headline sounds kind of funny, but it really just typifies how destructive the divide between people who have money and people who don't have money really is. Because now it's to the point where if you don't have an extra 40 bucks You might have to sit next to someone who either has the sniffles or has coronavirus or you don't know because they could be asymptomatic and you might get it anyway. But whatever, you cheap fuck. Why can't you afford to buy that empty seat? Or why why can't you afford to not sit in that empty seat? Like (laughs) it's going to be like divided like to such a microscopic level where not only will the people who can't afford to buy that extra seat be demonized, but then those people will demonize the people who sit in that middle seat in between them because they're like, you couldn't afford to sit anywhere else. It's going to be, it's a fucking nightmare. All that said, once this blows over, I hope they bring this back because I would totally. But luckily, uh, Barry Biffle, the awesomely named CEO of, uh, of Frontier. No, it cannot be your name as a CEO. You cannot be named Barry Biffle. <laughs> Barry Biffle is a, a name I trust. It's a name I trust to make really elaborate balloon animals on stage. (laughs) 
not to be the CEO of an airline. We didn't do this to profit off of suffering. We were absolutely 100% going to do this before the virus hit, just to give you more space because we care. That was his fallback on this one, and uh, it didn't work, and they've since scrapped the idea because no one bought that line of horseshit. Yeah, that's the thing. Even if it was your plan, you got to put it on hold during coronavirus, maybe forever. But if they had just launched it a little bit sooner, oh, what a different world we'd be living in where you can just buy space on an airplane. I mean, you can do that anyway, but right now it is prohibitively expensive in most cases. Unless you fly Spirit Airlines, $35 upgrade to that big front seat, paradise. Can't recommend it enough. I mean, not right now. I wouldn't do it, but in the future when flying is suggested again also who the fuck's flying right now i don't know it's i just wonder what business you're conducting elsewhere like are you going on a family trip because everything's closed are you are you doing like actual like business work or something because i don't know you're supposed to be home they should be accommodating you I don't know what you're supposed to be doing. It just doesn't make any sense. I I look at the pictures of people crammed into planes, all wearing their face masks, and I just see a bunch of question marks as to people's motivations. People are eager beavers to get out there right now. Like I read the other day that cruise lines started accepting bookings for August and they're up like 600% on cruises, which were normally toilets lost at sea. But now with the added bonus of maybe you're going to die out there too. I don't know what people are up to, but it's, it's questionable at best. Yeah, that's especially crazy because we were all prior to this like a cruise. What am I trying to get fucking pneumonia? I'm not taking a cruise. And now that we don't have cruises, everyone's like, I want to, I got to go on a cruise. I fi- I have me and the family finally have to take that cruise. To the best of my knowledge, there are still cruise ships out at sea right now with poor sons of bitches who've been stranded since like the ass end of 2019. There are, there are people actually here in Miami along, still in cruise ships along the coast near uh, uh, the, the, the dock that they can't actually go anywhere or do anything because uh, they still have a lot of sick people on them. So there's in some parts of the city, uh, like along Miami Beach, you can actually see off in the horizon a series of cruise ships just kind of just kind of sitting there, not going anywhere, not doing anything. But there's a lot of misery going on in them. How every single one of those hasn't turned into the Lord of the Flies, I do not know. Well, what have either of you seen the HBO series Avenue 5? Uh, some of it. I haven't watched it all yet. It's I fucking love it. And it like that reminds me of Avenue five, because that that's kind of the premise of that. People are on a space tour and then find out it might be like six months before they get to go home. <laughs> and I assume that all these cruise ships are also encircled by a halo of feces. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it like one of the early ships that that happened to the outbreak happened the night before they were supposed to go home, which would be like, I don't care how much goddamn fun you're having the night before you're supposed to go home. You're like, I'm ready to go home. This is, I've had enough of this. And then they ended up being on that bitch for like 30 more days. (laughs) I've been on, on a few cruises and, uh, the, the fun wears off fairly quickly because you, you realize you're just on a floating mall and malls are not that fun once you've done the hour's worth of fun you're going to have at it. And then for the next several days, it just becomes a nightmare. It just becomes uh, the worst place you want to be and the last place you want to be. If on the day I was supposed to get off, I was told, no, you need to stay on another month. 
oh my God, I would lose my mind. I feel so bad for these people. Yeah, it seems like cruise ships answer the question, what would happen if the Mall of America was surrounded by sharks? <laughs> and it's like, that, that significantly lessens the experience for me if I can't just walk across the street to the safety of a TGI Fridays. I was watching the local news here in LA, not to brag, and they were interviewing these two like indie musicians and they were talking about how they're not able to make money right now because they make the significant portion of their income comes from touring. And they were like, our agent did suggest that we could maybe do a gig on a cruise ship. It's like, fire your agent. What agent is suggesting you want to want to die for 600 bucks? Playing to an audience of people on ventilators. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they could just get coronavirus, uh, hashtag herd immunity, and then go play the hospital ship. <laughs> the hospital circuit. <laughs> there will be that someday. If bars don't open in L.A. soon enough for open mics to come back, open mic comedians will descend on hospitals. Yeah, I think I say is fuck it. Just bring them out into the public. Just street corner uh, open mics. Literally anybody can show up. Whoever wants to pass by and grab the mic, disinfect it. Uh, bring your own, please. Uh, we will not supply any of our, any at all. Oh, but Zoom comedy shows are so fun. This They're is what not. we wanted. This is where comedy thrives. Yeah, this, uh, I guess I still, like, my final thoughts on this is it is something heinous that in a pre-coronavirus world I would have happily paid for. I would buy a subscription to Frontier Airlines if this was a thing that was offered pre-coronavirus. Like, I was, it's still, one, especially now... It's still one of my goals in life to feel like I at least have enough money to where I can comfortably have two AMC A-list subscriptions, maybe even three. So I just always have empty seats by me at the theater. I will fight over those empty seats. I will bring extra coats and put them in those empty seats and pretend people are coming or that they're just in the bathroom. Maybe they died. I don't know. Quit asking me questions. You need to bring the, the dummies that people use to get through HOV lanes. <laughs> I get them IDs and everything. They're like, sir, you know, you could just like pretend the other two didn't show up, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's get to the next segment. Here we go. can't tell and eventually when i when i get my webcam that i've been waiting for for so long i dance to all of the songs so i will provide you with visual entertainment eventually but for now you're just gonna have to imagine myself sensually rubbing myself against the microphone i'm muted of course well yeah for sanitary reasons if nothing else we're living in a coronavirus time anyway let's play that segment This week, Joe Biden came to terms with reality. To appeal to millennials and Gen Z voters who are about as enthusiastic over Joe as they are the prospect of getting a surprise, fully clothed massage from Joe, our man Biden made a tough admission. He called himself a transition candidate and went as far as to promise young people that he would adopt some of the more popular policies of progressive candidates like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, seemingly understanding that the era of the moderate Democrat may end with his nomination or presidency. It's odd and a little unsettling 
to see a politician admit that their time is probably up. And it's fitting that this acknowledgement that the past must die for the future to live happened during virtual fundraisers that were enormous clusterfucks of glitches and awkwardness that really highlighted the fact that he and his campaign reek of old out-of-touch white dude. Even more on display than his promise that real change was coming right around the corner just after him, so just hold on for four to eight years, was his campaign's apparent lack of an IT department or an online outreach strategy or even someone who knows how to turn the router on and off again when the internet bugs out. Biden's online campaign strategy can be perfectly surmised by the first paragraph of a New York Times op-ed titled, How Joe Biden Can Defeat Donald Trump from His Basement. It was written by a woman named Liz Smith. She's advised the campaigns of Barack Obama, Pete Buttigieg, and Andrew Cuomo, and she used to fuck Elliot Spitzer. If after all that you couldn't guess that she's about as establishment as a Democrat can get, then you would have absolutely guessed it after hearing what she wrote. If Joe Biden plays his cards right, the death of the traditional presidential campaign will turn out to be a blessing in disguise. The 77-year-old Mr. Biden, whom the president derisively calls Sleepy Joe, can become the hottest bad boy and disruptor in the media game. Oh, fuck yeah, Liz. Put that shit in my veins, Liz. Joe Biden as the bad boy media disruptor? Good God, that mental image makes me hard. Give that old man a backwards hat and a backwards chair to sit on and then stand back and stare in awe as his fingers blur over a keyboard as he writes killer code that forever disrupts the landscape of the political campaign space. Watch out, world. Joe Biden knows how to computer, assuming someone shows him how to turn it on first. All jokes aside, if you want to know how Joe's digital strategy is actually going, let me read you the first two sentences of a Washington Post article from May 7th titled, Biden Virtual Tampa Rally Runs Into Glitches, Awkwardness, and Blank Screens. It reads, They introduced me, a blurry Joe Biden asked five seconds after he appeared on screen. Am I on? He added, as he walked toward the camera on choppy video and removed his aviator glasses. No one, not in one million years, will convince me that that sentence is not the result of someone feeding the fictionalized, cool, old man version of Joe we all contributed to creating circa 2010 to an AI. For a little comparison, do you want to know what Trump's digital strategy is? It's legitimately fucking brilliant is what it is. It's an app that applies the addictive predatory powers of smartphone gamification to political donations. Here's the Washington Post's Dave Weigel writing about the differences between Trump's political gambling app and whatever the hell Joe Biden is up to. He writes... The gamified Trump app has made some Democrats nervous, not least because Biden hasn't tried to compete with it. Everything that came from the Trump campaign had a act fast as seen on TV feeling. Nothing from the Biden campaign did. Biden's campaign texted me a poll. Are you planning to vote for Joe Biden in the general election in your state? And a longer, quote, strategy survey asking if I wanted to volunteer and what issues I cared about. We are absolutely going to hear stories about how all the old people in nursing homes Trump couldn't kill with COVID-19 blew their life savings on donating to his shitty app because it kept telling them that they were losers for not giving him as much as that bitch Esther down the hall did. There is an insane effort inspired by multi-level marketing campaigns to pry money from under the beds of poor Appalachian meth barons and infuse it into the Trump campaign while Joe Biden is touring the country on the back of a train asking people to put a dollar in a top hat. With all of these technological disadvantages, and with Biden's sexual assault accuser Tara Reid ramping up her calls for Joe to drop out of the race, it makes sense that Joe is severely lagging in the polls. This is horribly depressing to admit, but he's trailing Donald Trump by several points across all battleground states and in nearly every conceivable demographic. Now I'm just fucking with you. No one gives a shit about 
any of that. The guy is ahead in every poll in every battleground state. If he ends up winning the presidency from his basement, we're all going to have to have a real conversation as we reckon with the decades we've all spent referring to people living in their basements as pathetic losers. So, Joe, can you just do us all a favor and just lose? Lose handily, lose decisively, and maybe, maybe we won't have to admit that Liz Smith was right. Where in the world is motherfucking Joe Biden? And we're back. We did it. It was actually, Woo. I think, I think 0.2 seconds that we waited uh, in between. What? No. We, no? You went away and recorded that. <laughs> no, I me said and, it all. I said it all live is what happened. Me and Ian broke for lunch. You stayed behind and then we reconvened a week later. We drank a lot, me and Ian, on that lunch break. It turned into a thing. So, Joe Biden, first of all, shout out to Dave Weigel, friend of the show. He's been on Unpopular Opinion a couple times. He came up in the middle of all that. And this is, uh, talk about the Joe Biden transition thing a little more. <laughs> well, yeah, he calls himself a transition candidate. Now, it's one of those, uh, it's not a great selling point um, to say that uh, real change will come. Uh, eventually just give it a second i'm not the guy you're all hoping for but i am not the guy you don't want um it's not the greatest selling point but he's doing it i guess in a way that i could see the logic to it it's just kind of lame uh but he wants to appeal to the younger millennials and gen z's out there who are not according to what i've seen uh like nbc news recently did uh, like a poll of the youth and uh they found that they're not they don't hate Joe Biden. They're just not particularly enthusiastic. And it's not even like they won't necessarily vote for him. They just don't see him as the kind of person that embodies what they want. So he wants their vote. He's trying to appeal to them desperately. So he's just saying, I'm not going to be the person you want, but the next person will be. So just hold tight for a little bit. It's so, so pathetic. And the way he wants to do it is by essentially promising the youth of America that he will adopt some maybe sort of policies of the more progressive candidates out there uh, in the hope of luring them in and promising that uh, and, and, you know, in exchange for a vote for him. And, uh, you know, I, I feel bad for him because, like, you got to stoop to that level when you know he doesn't want to necessarily be that kind of person. He doesn't want to be the FDR type sweeping change person, even though there was a New York Magazine article that was specifically about how Joe Biden wants to be an FDR type of president. I don't know if he has that in them, in him. And uh, I feel like he's probably, whenever he has to say that kind of stuff, he probably cringes a little bit. And then when the mic is off, says, I don't believe any of that shit. I don't, I don't want to do that shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely I don't believe him when he says he wants <laughs> yeah. to do anything progressive. J Joe Biden seems like as much of a law and order guy as anyone to me. And I have to give credit where Rus Russian espionage credit is due. But RT.com, I think, had the best headline about Joe Biden's transition comment, which was, that's the spirit. Biden says he's just a transition candidate to put the Mayor Pete's of the world into office. <laughs> <laughs> and that really does summarize everything that's so sad about this, because it's not him saying, yeah, man, elect me. And in four years, uh, AOC will be president. One, I feel like that was a decent Joe Biden that I just threw together on the fly. You kind of nailed it. Yeah. 
But also, he's not saying that. He's saying Mayor Pete, which is like, cool. So young Joe Biden then? Yeah, exactly. That's all that guy is. Like, that guy is the establishment. That guy is the fucking CIA. I'm supposed to find that progressive? They maybe killed Kennedy. I mean, I don't think they did. But maybe people still have enough questions about it. Like, I'm not looking forward to Mayor Pete. Yeah, though he does feel like one of those people that is inevitable. Like he has an air of inevitability behind him that I, that I, yeah, he, he is very much a Thanos type figure, uh, like passed through the sieve of like the mad, uh, mad magazine, uh, <laughs> character, uh, uh, logo. Like he kind of has a dopey goofiness to him, but he, what he represents does feel like something everybody's going to latch onto in like four to eight years as, as like, yes, this is what I've always wanted. And, uh, no, no, he just feels like a establishment Democrat, like 2.0. This is the the next evolution in the same shit you've seen before. Yeah, he's he kind of represents the same thing Hillary Clinton did in that just being who he is, were he to be elected president, it would be a progressive step in the right direction. In Hillary Clinton's case, obviously, it would be had we elected a serial murderer, it would be the first one we ever, just joking, America. If we had elected a woman, it would be our first woman president. And that would have been a step in the right direction per se, but it would also have been just us electing another establishment Democrat. And Pete Buttigieg is the same thing. It would be a step in the right direction if America elected their first gay president. But if it's Pete Buttigieg, that's kind of where the progress ends. It's like superficial progress. Yeah, it's for every one bit of legitimate progress you'd get out of him, you'd get like 20 just same old, same old bullshit things that are uh, the kinds of things we're all fucking tired of. And it, it just it, it doesn't he doesn't instill hope. And the fact that Biden sees him as the future of the party rather than the AOCs or obviously Bernie Sanders is not necessarily the future of the party, but what he represents, I think, is um, especially when you look at the ways uh, that millennials and Gen Z Zoomers, uh, uh, the way they are polling and the things that they want, uh, all this shit, all the, the the things that we are now calling socialists because Bernie Sanders and AOC are attached to them, that's going to be the norm for the left when it gets when they get a little bit older and and start to kind of seizing a little bit more of the power structures involved in, in all of this. Yeah, for sure. And like Pete Buttigieg seems like a candidate who like electing him would feel really progressive until like two weeks into his presidency when he gets in front of America and is like, I'm a gay man. So I use the men's bathroom and it's like, oh, fuck, here we go. <laughs> no, I know where this is going. God damn it, Mayor Pete. As a gay man, I believe factories should dump all the mercury they want into our local water supplies. <laughs> Exactly. Because I'm a gay man. <laughs> yeah, it, it it would turn into kind of a nightmare. But he'll probably still be president someday. Oh, yeah, anyway. I, I, I have almost no doubt in my mind. But if there's one thing I really want to focus in on on my, on my little uh, uh, write-up uh, recording thing that I did there, it's Liz Smith, who is someone that I did not know existed uh, just a few days ago. Uh, but I found out that she has been involved in a lot of Democratic politics for the past several years. Um she is a wonderful like fountain of the most cringy bullshit ideas to uh, for Democrats to become popular and be cool with the kids. And I, I, I wanted to include it in this 
uh, recording thingy that I did. I didn't have enough time to fit it in. But yesterday, the news broke that she was just spitballing ideas during an interview that uh, she believes uh, Joe Biden should uh, appear in Fortnite as an enormous uh, hologram. <laughs> as uh, For people who might be listening to this at some point in the distant future, very recently, Travis Scott gave actually what's kind of kind of a very good performance in Fortnite, the video game if you may not know if it may it may be passe by the time you're listening to this um but he gave an actual really good performance in the video game Fortnite, and her brilliant idea was why not joe biden in the grand canyon like a giant hologram <laughs> joe biden um sure liz sure what's what's the eta on a video of him trying to floss <laughs> Like that's the dance. I mean, not his no, yeah, yeah. teeth. I assume those just go in a bucket of solution every night when he goes to bed. <laughs> but it's like it, the the Democratic Party. I think the freshest ideas they have are all somewhat in the same field of like Pokemon Go to the polls. Like that's where all of the best ideas are in that field of trying to appeal to people who play video games while never actually knowing what video games are and only hearing about them <laughs> from the news. Oh, they, I read a USA Today article about a fortnight thing i think joe biden should be on it yeah there was there was during the 2016 campaign hillary clinton released a listicle called the seven reasons hillary clinton is just like your abuela <laughs> yes <I remember>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man like at least trump would never do that exactly they, they the, the republicans they are true to themselves in that they they know they're 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 widely unpopular and they're going to stick to their dumb uh, aggressively uh, regressive bullshit. But Democrats they like to play this game where it's like, hey, I'm just one of you, and it's all the hello fellow kids, Steve Buscemi from Thirty Rock meme, uh, just as an entire platform for a political party. Yeah, are are we not paying enough attention to how shitty Democrats are at the internet? It's incredible, and the thing I, I love it. Because the narrative used to be that they were great. Like when Obama won in, in 2008, the narrative was that this was the technocrat party. This is a whole new information gathering outreach system. And as I mentioned before, uh, the, Joe Biden's uh, online outreach has been an embarrassment. It's like nothing's been happening. And when it happens, it's, it, it's a catastrophic technological failure. There's no life to it. It just sits there. And Trump has been developing this gamified app that essentially reduces political donations down to gambling. And it's it's amazing how they that they understand the uh, how to reach out to people using the internet in ways that Democrats seem to have forgotten. And I think it, it's largely because establishment Democrats are in charge of all of this. And they are older, out of touch. They're not young. Once you start seeing, like, for instance, AOC got on uh, Animal Crossing and started giving commencement speeches in the game. Like, that's the kind of thing that nobody is doing. And it doesn't sound like much. It sounds kind of corny. And it is to a degree. But that's the kind of actual legitimate outreach that people that she understands because she's a young person. That's how that's what everybody's on. That's the platform everybody's on. And she knows how to talk to people on it. Uh, it's just when the party is taken over by younger people, then you'll start to see things that aren't as cringy. So what you're saying is Joe Biden should have a show on Quibi. <laughs> Yeah, a Quibi talk show from his basement. 
I'm legitimately surprised that Obama doesn't. Well, because he was smart enough because he knew that that Netflix was the bigger uh, was the bigger platform. But uh, a Quibi show? Why not? Although I, I would like to see him on like YouTube as a YouTuber, just playing games, man, just live streaming. Yeah, that that would be a fun look for him. Just playing. I, I want to play Obama in NBA 2K20. I bet he fucking wreck me. I bet it would be a goddamn bloodbath. Yeah, the Democrats and technology are, are, I feel like the responsible thing in 2008 when Obama took over and got on Twitter, the responsible thing for people on the left to have done at that point would be like, hey, how about you don't? How about we don't set a precedent where our president of the United States is on a fun time app for tweeting jokes? Like, how about we keep it a little more official right now? But we didn't do that. And now Trump literally runs the government from an iPhone. And it's not good. It's not for the, it's not for the betterment of the country. That's for sure. We should maybe just shut Twitter down. Yeah, I would, oh, man, I would love that. It would. Uh, I, I, I'm at the point with Twitter where I need someone to take it away from me because I don't know if I have the strength to do it myself. Yeah, same a little bit. I'll get there, though. I got rid of Facebook. I mean, I still have it. I should just delete the page. I don't know why I don't, but I never post there. But uh, yeah, the DNC also had that big fiasco with the Iowa caucus where they tried to use this app to run it and it crashed. And mysteriously, uh, Pete Buttigieg won. And also mysteriously, the people behind that app were either campaign staffers or donor or donors to Pete Buttigieg. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. I feel like that's almost an example of Democrats being shitty at technology uh, working in our favor, except for the part where Joe Biden ends up getting nominated instead of Bernie. But uh, yeah, Democrats are bad at computers, and I don't fucking like it. Let's get to our last segment. We call this What in the World? This is where we talk about international news and politics. I don't know why I turned that up. I meant to turn it down. This is a very, very loud example of our intro music. At least for me, I hope uh, my co-hosts are suffering equally. How fucking long is this? Maybe I should just stop it. There we go. There you go. That was good. It was good for me anyway. Hey, we are not going to stop trying to topple the government of Venezuela. Of all the things I've predicted, which I don't predict anything, it's just that I believe Trump when he says he's going to do a bad thing, even if he just says it off the cuff. And that's really all you need to know what Trump is going to do in the future. But Venezuela is different. Uh, I mean, not really. But back in 2016, I read an article where at the very end, there was just this throwaway line where it said Trump is worried about the human rights crisis in Venezuela. And I was like, nah, Trump is never worried about human rights anywhere. What the fuck is going on? And so I looked into it. And as it turns out, we've been kind of waging economic warfare on Venezuela since the early 2000s because they had the audacity to elect a socialist president who fed poor people at the expense of U.S. corporate interests. And we've carried that campaign on through every presidency since George Bush. And we are it, like I got called like people said I was like spreading the conspiracy theories of a dictator because that's what Maduro would say all the time is like the fucking 
yeah, I'm an asshole, but the U.S. kind of made me an asshole. And we kind of did. Like the, the, situ- the situation Maduro is in right now is, I mean, the, the really brief, simple explanation. There's more to it than this. But Maduro right now, to fix the economy, he needs to take control of the distribution of goods and currency out of the hands of the military because they are corrupt and they are getting rich off of that power. But the only thing keeping him from being ousted is the military and the fact that he's enabling them to get rich off the distribution of goods. So he can either do the right thing and take that power out of the hands of the military and then be subsequently hung for his crimes, or he can stay in power and let the military keep protecting him up until the point the United States finally launches an invasion and he's hung for his crimes. So like, what would you do? Like, I would, I would still keep eating food in my palace, personally. And we've tried twice now to topple this government. And I say twice now, meaning twice under Trump. We tried it under Bush also. And uh, we did it in 2014, and now we just did it again. And this time it's like a, a comical slapstick Bay of Pigs kind of thing. Yeah, that operation, I wrote about it for, for Cracked, and it was, uh, man, it was special. It was just, a, it was a, a comedy of errors. It went wrong in every conceivable way. It was, it was a disaster uh, from the start. Which one? The uh, the uh, coup attempt in Venezuela. The one last year or this year? No, this year with uh, Silver Corp USA. Which coup was it again? That's the whole thing. You have to ask. And they're all kind of funny. But go on. Oh, man. So that coup was uh, was wonderful. It was so good. It, it, like The guy didn't even really have authorization to do it because they were working out the, 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 the details of it for a long time. And then it just kind of fell apart because they couldn't reach the fucking contractual terms or whatever it was. On, on however you put together a coup and uh, and then they kind of just went and did it anyway uh, and then the guy tweeted at Trump to get his attention to kind of let him know it was happening and and they brought an airsoft gun with them which is an odd choice I think when you're trying to when you're a, already a very small military force and then taking on what is conceivably an army uh, uh, a, a nation's army to try to kidnap its president and one of the weapons you choose to go in with is a bb gun that looks like a real gun uh i wouldn't feel safe in doing that uh, i wouldn't feel confident um but they did it and god bless them because it made for what is on on the broad strokes a very depressing story that this happened and uh, and infuriating but it's it's good it kind of it's heartening to know that some of the worst people in the world right now are just a bunch of bumbling fuck-ups yeah and it's like one it's crazy that i had to ask you to specify which coup attempt and it's also like every one of them has some funny element to it like the the one in 2019 which was april of last year Juan Guaido, who is the U.S.-backed opposition's, like, chosen replacement for Maduro, he gets on the fucking social medias and is like, woo, we're finally doing it. We got the military in our corner. We're going to drive up to the presidential palace and we're going to take out Maduro, man. And the military was like, no, you're not. We, we already know this is happening. And it, like, got shut down fucking immediately. And the the one in, I think it was 2003, that the Bush administration was behind 
we actually like got Chavez, like they, they arrested Chavez and took him away and put a new regime in power. And the people of Venezuela just took to the streets and were like, uh, hey, we voted on that. Like we cast our votes and it was a real election. You don't just get to put a new guy in power. And fucking Chavez was back in power in like three days. So we keep trying and we keep, it would be way more comical if part of our efforts didn't also involve actively trying to starve the population of Venezuela. And there have been so many calls by the UN and human rights groups for us to ease up our sanctions on Venezuela, because at the end of the day, sanctions just hurt poor people. Maduro's not fucking suffering under these sanctions. Or to at least suspend them during coronavirus. And we're like, nah, man, we're sending G.I. Joes in during coronavirus. You think we're letting up now? And uh, I don't know. It feels like a huge waste of resources that is just meant to help us get more resources and act tough in the face of socialism. But what do I know? Yeah, it makes me makes me dread the day we actually get like a real leftist president if it happens in our lifetime i really hope it would but like a, a bernie sanders-esque figure of someone who actually believes in like progressive ideas and the power of government to help people rise out of poverty and all that uh boy is that going to be a terrifying position to be in whenever that happens uh the news will not be fun because a lot of the the right wing elements, those ultra militaristic forces that have seen socialism and communism as the ultimate evil in this country since you know since the end of World War II, uh, those guys are going to be fucking furious, and they're going to be crazy, and they're going to be armed. And you also can't discount that a lot of the world's rich people, even if they they put off an air of being progressive. They don't want to give up their money for your Medicare for all. And some of those rich people own television networks and major newspapers like the Washington Post. It's owned by Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos doesn't want to give you a lot of his money by by law. So, like, if we get a president in office who's pushing that idea, don't expect your liberal heroes to fucking rally behind him like it will be a dividing line between establishment democrats and the left for sure but it would be nice if we could just get to that point well one day one day one day we'll be just like canada just joking canada will be just like us soon shit (laughs) so i i think that's our episode this was fun that was nice that was pleasant really upbeat ending nice little jaunt through really depressing topics that was pleasant yeah depressing topics with upbeat music that's what we do here at in broad daylight you're welcome america uh do either of you have anything to plug before we get out of here lewis what do you got uh just my normal day work writing stuff at cracked and then uh yeah stuff i've written in the past for bunny ears that i'm really proud of and is super funny and dumb and then uh, i'll keep saying it to hold myself to it but one day i will have my own podcast and you will all rue that day Rue it. Ian, what do you got? As always, nothing. Nice. I mean, you could plug me and Lewis. You give us, you want to say something nice about us? Would be. Adam, you look great in a Mexican wrestler mask. Lewis, I am very happy that your name is not Louie. <laughs> <laughs> Both I'm good shout outs. Flattered, flattered by that. We met Ice T on that luchador mask trip. That's not nothing. It was great. All right, let's get out of here. Ian, say goodbye. Goodbye. Lewis, say goodbye. Later, buddy.
Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>